Hello everyone, this is Lorraine Christie with another episode of Let's Talk About It. I hope you guys are having a great Friday and you continue to have an amazing weekend. I'm so honored and excited to introduce you to one of my mentors, someone who I appreciate and look up to for so many different reasons, um, Brother Brandon. And today we cover the topic of being unequally yoked even with a believer. And I know that this conversation has been such a blessing to me, and I hope that it can do the same for you. And if you're single, if you're in a relationship, if you are unmarried, you need to hear what he has to say on this topic. So without any further ado, let's just jump into it and talk about it. birthday this week correct correct so tell me one thing that you appreciate about her um i think the fact that she's a pretty easy person to get along with um i think that's a great attribute um she's pretty laid back and easygoing and i think probably the most important thing that i appreciate about her is that areas that I'm weak in she's strong in and the areas that I'm strong in I can help her and compliment her but that would be my quick quick answer I suppose very good okay so I answered the question back one thing I appreciate about your, appreciate about your wife is that um, she doesn't let being a mom stop her from ministering so like you'll see her sometimes you know she's in choir and she'll try to take care of Caleb you know or it's like she's in the prayer room and she'll have Caleb it's she never uses excuse like oh I have kids so I can't be used in the church so that is definitely one thing that I appreciate appreciate about her um which is a good thing obviously because this podcast episode is talking about relationships and obviously when you're doing ministry in the church you want someone that's going to have the same I wouldn't say necessarily the same calling but someone that is gonna give you the freedom to do ministry in the church or who's going to support you if you know it's the wife role so so our topic today is um being unequally yoked with a with a believer you know i think most people think like oh if i if i just marry anyone in the church then i'm good because we're we believe the same thing so we're yoked together but in having conversations with you i think it's helped me um get a better glimpse of like things that I should be looking for that are actually more important when your heart is for the church and your heart is for ministry and your heart is serving in the church you want someone that's gonna be there same so can you kind of tell me a little bit about like your thoughts on that yeah absolutely I mean I think you know obviously the whole idea of being unequally yoked with an unbeliever I, I really comes down to me the way I started thinking about this is I started thinking about defining what an unbeliever is. And I believe that an unbeliever can be defined in a variety of ways. Um, Obviously, we know that 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 14 <clears throat> is where it really talks about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness. So when we look at it just from like the scriptures, we, we recognize that really he's definitely talking about um, the contrast of light and darkness is basically being completely yoked with someone who is um, really doesn't believe the truth, um, believe the gospel, believe um, apostolic doctrine, core uh, values. So I think that's the first point. And then I think, though, that that point starts working itself out, which is what we're talking about today, is that I think then as you kind of start to create like a checklist, number one, obviously they have to love God. They have to serve God. They have to have a love for truth. Those are all prerequisites. But as you get down, if you have a heart for ministry, I think there are other type of um, qualities that are necessary to be yoked with to fully maximize your ministry within the church and um, ministry within in even a larger context beyond the confines of the four walls of the church. And really, I started thinking about this because I just have seen a lot of people over the years, dating back to even being single 14 years ago, as I saw the wives or their husband, it can be either role in the relationship, you know, really, um, whether they were doing it consciously or they were doing it without really thinking about it, they were a stumbling block to their spouse. Right. And I always felt like if there was mutual submission to each other and if there was mutual support, that they both could exponentially do ministry so much more effective, so much greater, and ultimately their entire family, i.e. their children, grandchildren, and generations to come, would be blessed by this union that not just wasn't you know, that I married somebody that loved God, but I also had married somebody who wanted to take the entire scope of what it is to be a Christian, what it is to believe absolute truth, what it is to now do it and practice it and apply it and live it out, um, that I think that's like another level. Um, and I think that, that, that so when we think about being unequally yoked, I think that you can be actually married to a believer who believes the same with, as you, has been baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Spirit, you know, living a life that's, that's you know, seemingly um, consecrated, but yet at the same time, um, their core values and core priorities are unequally yoked to maybe somebody else who has a higher commitment level. Right. So what would you say... To me, if I was looking at someone, like, I know you're not a professional, so you can't really maybe be able to answer this, but what are some ways that, as a single individual, things that I can look at that should be kind of important? Well, I am a professional, first of all. <laughs> no. Um, how do you define a professional, right? <laughs> I think professional, you know, experience, whatever, but I don't, I'm, I'm jesting, obviously, but um, I, I think that you know, I think that each a single person has to stop 
and they have to first prioritize. And I know it's not rocket science, but it's they have to prioritize what's the most important things to them. And I think that, as I just mentioned in, in this scripture, we know what is an absolute necessity. And that is, um, you know, having the same uh, worldview when it comes to how you look at the Bible, interpret the Bible, and having a general value of the Bible um, the same. Um, and not just similarities, not just like common denominators, but you have to be completely um, on the same foundation. So I think that's number one. I think then you have to start, you know, going down to uh, the nth degree of what you're really looking at. Um, obviously, these things talk about personality and uh, these things talk about, um, you know, life goals and things of that nature. But as you drill down into those life goals, you know, how they perceive doing life with you uh, as a family, I think those are things that should be priorities. Um, I see a lot of it in local churches all across the United States where the husband or the wife, either one, is involved at a high, high, you know, a high commitment level, but they're not doing it as a family. And I think that's a result of, of somebody settling um, or not being aware or not being cognitive uh, of, of what that other individual's really how they viewed their involvement in ministry. So I think you have to prioritize. And so, you know, um, the individual has to prioritize. And so I can't necessarily say exactly what that priority list is for everybody, but I think at the very top of it, it should be um, a believer. And second of all, finding somebody that has the same, um, perceives ministry and life as a believer as you do. Um, because you'll exponentially do greater things for God because um, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000. Right, and ultimately that's what marriage is, right? Is when two people come together to do the work of the Lord. And so you'll, like you said, you'll see couples where one is committed and not that the other ones doesn't attend church, but just not at their level and they're not living their full potential as a couple. And... When you say, like, doing the work together for the Lord as a family, what do you mean by that? Like, Yeah, I have a different concept of, of, <clears throat> of this. Um, you know, there's a big word that often comes up in this type of conversation, and it's balance, right? So a lot of people talk about you need balance. And what they interpret that by is that, you know, there are times that either this either one of the spouses can give all of their time to ministry and then neglect their family. They can neglect their relationship with their wife, they can neglect their relationship with their kids. And then out of that you hear even quote unquote professional psychologists, professional people say, well, you need balance. And I agree with that. I think that's that's obviously a common denominator that is so true. At the same time, if you've married somebody that you have, are equally yoked with, you don't have to do ministry apart from one another. Right. You can do it together. 
So is that the same thing as quality time of playing baseball or going on vacation together? No, not at all. You need those times and those outlets. However, if you're equally yoked to that nth degree and you both view ministry and life and how you want to develop your family and develop your relationship together, then it's not, well, I'm going on outreach, honey. I'll be back in a little bit. It's no family. Let's go together and let's do outreach together. And then afterwards, let's go do something fun. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go eat lunch. Let's go to the park. Let's go shopping together. And let's connect something that's spiritual with something that we need to do, whether it's a chore, whether it's a fun thing, whether it's eating and fellowshipping together. But I think a lot of times when we start talking about this whole balance thing, you get people that they, they start saying, well, I guess I can't do that ministry because I need to go have this special family time and their family time ends up being nothing but um, they're, they're not building any spirituality into their children. Right. And now they're saying, well, it's, we're just going to go instead of going and going on outreach or instead of going to a prayer meeting or instead of going to church on Wednesday night or instead of going and going to this you know, conference or instead of, you know, whatever the spiritual event is, they completely separate themselves from it. And so their children become very accustomed to not prioritizing the things of God. And so my answer is, I believe that the Bible is more interested in us doing ministry together as a family, going to church as a family, fellowshipping as a family. And it doesn't have to create this weird balance in which the wife or the husband is doing their ministry apart from each other. But they can do it in collaboration with one another. And you can even bring along your children. I just had a friend of mine the other day who told me he brought his, he's a pastor, he brought his son with him to go teach a Bible study. And the son was reading scriptures for him during the Bible study. Well, that's a beautiful way. I mean, what if you want to find a common denominator with your kid? Right. I mean, base, don't, don't misunderstand me. I love golf. I love baseball. I love basketball. But if my child... My son never became a great athlete, but him and I had a tremendous bond around the Word of God. How powerful is that? Yeah. You know, not that being said, oh, I'm going to go play catch with them. I'm going to go hang out with them. We're going to do stuff outside of that. But I, when, I, when I heard that story, I thought that's so cool that, that he did that. And not only was he spending that time with him, but he was being an example. And at the same time, he was actually putting some really deep truths into his son that Lord willing will, will outlive their relationship. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, you said something to me that I try to always apply and I think it applies here. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you said it never has to be this or that it can be this and that. And it's kind of the same thing. Like it doesn't need to be like, Oh, I can't go to outreach cause I need to spend family time. It's well, why don't we go spend family time together and then do something to, so it's like you're, you're picking both worlds at one time and still, I wouldn't say following your commitment to outreach, but also you're teaching your kids that like we go to things when there's things at the church, we go to them as a family. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I have said that. It's not, that wasn't original to me. 
it actually like was like a business concept, but I think that it has a lot of application in our spiritual life that I think oftentimes, again, people do it underneath the guise of like, well, I got to find balance. And the reason they're having that angst and that tension in their relationship is because their spouse doesn't see ministry the same way they do. And so what happens is they often have to determine, well, am I going to choose this or am I going to choose that? And oftentimes in life, I've found out rarely is it this or that. There are times that that is applicable, but most times it's this and that. And it could be applied to outreach, but that's just one example. It could be applied to the life of the church in general. It could be applied to, you know, um, you doing family devotion on Monday nights. You know, it could be, it could be applied to so many different things. You know what I mean? Um, But I do agree with that. I mean, obviously there are decisions that have to be made and you do have to say no to some things, but I do not want to live a life in front of my family um, and especially my kids and model kind of, well, we're going to choose to do something as a family over doing something as a family spiritually. Yeah. And I just don't think that's a great, that's a tremendous, I don't think that's a great example. I think that there's a way, as you already said, that you can do both. Right. And I think that that's my goal always is to try to make living for God the funnest thing. I've always, you know, I've always believed that. Yeah. um, That this is a great life. And you're not someone that just does that. Like, you guys are very good at taking family vacations and taking time apart. So it's not like you're saying one-sided here. You're also, you know, that those are all things that are important to, you know, spending time away, you know, and having vacations. And you're all for that, too. So Absolutely. And, and, and there's even, I'll tell you another thing that I think is very important along those lines, even with this. And this is not completely on topic, but it's a, ra- a little bit of rabbit trail. But, you know, I think we're trying to, again, in this whole being going back to the point of being unequally yoked or being yoked together again from the defining the definition that we've kind of laid out at the very beginning um is we even try to choose on our vacations you know if we can we make conscious effort not to miss church like if we can leave after church on wednesday night we do it yeah would it be easy to leave well absolutely but we do, there are some things, and there are sometimes it's unavoidable, but there are other times where we're trying to show to our children it's such a priority that my wife and I were yoked together on this mindset that we want to build that into hopefully their DNA, that they see that, that yeah, we could have left Wednesday morning, but we didn't. Yeah. We sacrificed, we went to church, and we left at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was a long night, but we had fun. We went to in and out afterwards and we hung out and we had a good time. We stopped and got donuts and, you know, we did all these fun things and we listened to Odyssey or Louis L'Amour or, you know, John Grisham or Ben-Hur or some type of radio, you know, and we listened to something on the way and we tried to make it fun, like saying, hey, you know, look at what we were able to do. We were able to go to church and we were able to go on vacation. We were able to have this and we were able to have that. And yes, it costs us a little sacrifice, but in the end, it's worth it. Yeah. And ultimately, all of that boils down to is that you and your wife are on the same page. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have a lot of 
tension in other relationships where to miss a service for somebody and there it's easy to it's easy for somebody to 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 maybe that's listening to this to say well you have to because of a position or because of your calling or because of but i think that it's deeper than that i think that it's easy if someone's willing to to say that then i'm already skeptical about where their heart is yeah because they're already looking for rationalization to their own or justification to their own actions. So, you know, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the fact that my wife and I can agree on that and say, yeah, that is important to us because there's a lot of families that, that can't. And um, that's hence being unequally yoked that they don't have the same value of the house of God being important, ministry being important, and then not just important, but important for the relationship and important for them to build upon that foundation um, for their life. Yeah. I definitely feel like the older I've gotten and maybe more of the last year and a half, I feel like that is like probably one of the most important things because I feel like I love the church and I want to do things for the church that I feel like I want to find someone that feels the same way in those regards. Um, but I don't feel like I always thought that. So in a way, I feel like, man, maybe it's a blessing that I haven't got married before because I was looking for all the wrong things versus... And we kind of talked about this the other day about how sometimes that the sometimes you change just the more you mature. Like you start to realize that certain things aren't important. Do you want to hit on that a little yeah. bit? <clears throat> yeah, I think we're, the other day we were talking about a little bit of just referencing is that, you know... You hear there's a little um, common statement made by by those that have been married for a long, long time. Um, they will say something to the effect that I love my spouse more today than than I did the day I met them. And obviously, there's that's so true because it's a deeper commitment, right? Both both mentally, both emotionally, and beyond. But but I think that the other side of it is. I think we love more because the things that are now present that have been um, that have manifested themselves over the years that may not have been traits that we initially were looking for, but they revealed themselves to us over time, maybe through tragedy, maybe through experiences, maybe through shared, um, you know, shared experiences, whatever was the kind of the impetus to to reveal those character traits in that spouse that you may have not had ever seen before. Um, but in the process of time, you were able to, to see those kind of unveiled that now you started valuing that person at even such a higher level because there were things that were to them. There was depth to them that you were not aware of that only pressure or tension or tragedy or, or, poor decisions or life, unexpected life situations right. or um, just spiritual attack or just living life in today in 2018 in yeah. general. Um, you know, having a family, all, all these things can kind of un, uh, unveil some, some parts. And so you start realizing that you do love them more because there's more about them that you've begin to know and yeah. discovered. And so, of course... You're going to love them. And then when you see those things manifested, 
you wouldn't have had the same value on them at 21 or 25 that you have at 60. And so ultimately, yes, when we say I love them more, you know, I think that there's, that's the way we express it verbally, but really it's probably more about the maturity that now you're able to value things that you didn't see before. So this is kind of off topic. I just thought about this right now. Do you think when looking for someone that's, okay, I'm trying to use my words here, what I'm trying to say. Do you think it's ever a wise thing to, to make a decision based on a, like the potential of someone versus what they're actually doing? I think, I mean, I think all of us, yeah, all of us have, you know, potential. I think that um, you kind of have to draw the line. For instance, let, let me just back up and clear the deck and say it this way. You can't say someone who is an unbeliever but is coming to church and say, oh, well, they have potential to be saved. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, then, okay, yeah. no, I'm saying that's probably not a wise choice. <laughs> now, if there's somebody who they're developing, maybe they came to God later in life. Maybe there's things that they're still learning and and we're all being discipled. There's I don't believe there's anybody that's still not being discipled. I mean, Paul talks about it that not that I have attained. I don't I, I we never yeah. attain. We never get there. But at the end of the day, we can understand that our Christian maturity um can sometimes evolve faster than others. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's that opportunity, uh, but I think you just, just kind of walking into it with being wide, eyes wide open. <clears throat> and, and, and ultimately um, allowing, I think all of us have potential. I don't think you get married. I don't think anybody gets married, you know, with their full realized potential unless, you know, maybe they're 75 or 80 years old. Yeah. And I guess I just mean like, when I think of like where I'm at, if I met someone that maybe wasn't, their heart wasn't as committed to the church, but you could see that they possibly are going that way, do you think that it's better just to wait and make sure someone's at your level? Or do you think like if you see them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 the direction of the heart, right? Yeah. It's the direction of their heart and the direction they're they're going. There, there might be, sometimes I think that opportunities make people and sometimes people just don't have the opportunity. They didn't know what was expected. They want to do it. Their heart's in the right place. They want to live for God. They want to be, quote unquote, for the sake of this podcast, equally yoked. They want to have, you know, um, their relationship with God, A1. They want, you know, their life to be centered around um, the church. They want to raise their family around the church and all of these things. They just don't know what that means. And what I hear you saying is, you know, is there a opportunity in which maybe they're not completely all the way matured, maybe to you who's been in church most of your life? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's a, that's that's a that's a possibility. But I just still would say you have to go into it, you know, eyes wide open. And um, the, the the other thing, other side of that, because. Here's the other side of that. You can go in to a relationship in which both people, let's say, quote unquote, were living for God for the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then you can get, I don't know what, what this word just popped in my mind, bamboozled 
that all of a sudden you, you're you think that they have the same values, and then you get married, and they don't, and they don't, um, and they said all the right things, and you felt all the right things, and sometimes love is not only blind, but love is sometimes deaf. <laughs> That's a good one. And so sometimes we hear things that we want to hear, even though they weren't said like we thought they were said. Man, that's really good. Which is why I say the old adage of actions speak louder than words. If you can see them even start to make some incremental progresses, that speaks way louder than whatever words they'll be willing to tell you. Well, okay, so you said something right now, and I think you're the perfect person to talk about this for the sake of that you and Rachel did a long-distance relationship. Yeah. So what, what, what is something you would say regarding, like, how do you know if you're not with, like, in a long-distance relationship, you probably don't see each other or get to see them in their church atmosphere as much as maybe you would like. Sure. But um, what are some things that maybe, I mean, I know it's been a little while since you guys were in that season of dating but what are some things that you could say on that regard yeah I mean on honestly I um I knew her pastor pretty well and I knew her at the time I knew her youth pastor pretty well so to be very frank I leaned a lot on what on what they said to me in addition I, I you know in this case and this is not always um afforded the opportunity to somebody but I also was interested, you know, in her, in her family. And unfortunately, my wife's parents divorced, but her, her mom, she lived with her mom most of her life. And um, her pastor was very complimentary of her mother um, as well, which told me that there was, there were some spiritual truths that were there and that she had witnessed. And then I think the other thing is during the time that we did date, um, she was very um, engaged in everything that, that I did. I mean, even when I was a youth pastor in that time, and I remember we did like a youth event and she came down and she was around. And of course she was here to see me and I was there to see her, but she was helpful. She did whatever we wanted to do. And I guess anybody would in those situations. Um, but I felt like in the conversations that we had in in what her pastor said and then in the limited time that I did get to see her, I guess, quote unquote, in action, you know, <laughs> uh, as yeah. far as church and, and ministry and things of that nature, um, you know, I definitely felt, I felt that it was, um, that we would definitely have the same, the same set of values. And in our situation, we would compliment one another. And I think that's kind of proved itself to be true. Yeah. That's very, very good. So let me just say this. Okay. I think I think this is the other thing is that always at the end of the day, I think it's always good in this whole unequally yoked thing, not from unbeliever to believer. I'm talking about within the confines of, you know, a believer. We're kind of we're kind of saying there's un there's believers that are unbelievers is what we're kind of yeah. what we're saying, meaning they're unbelievers of how you view ministry, how you view your time, how you view you. There's some people that they, they don't recognize that it's not me time and God time. It's all God time. 
and God gives me me time. Yeah. It's all that's God good, times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have me time. It's like that's that's what it is to be holy. Holy is to be set apart. And we talk about holiness, and this is not to get off subject, but we talk about holiness in the terms of like our dress or in terms of our conversation. But the reality is if you study the Old Testament, you find out that holiness began to touch their money. Holiness began to touch their time. Well, you say, well, how did it do that? Well, why did they have a Sabbath? The Bible says that holiness started touching their time because God told them, you're going to have a Sabbath and keep it holy. Yeah. So holiness does not just touch how I live from a morality standpoint. It starts touching my finances, which there you go, is another example of, of being equally yoked together because I've seen people that one of the spouse wants to give financially to the church and the other spouse doesn't. Yeah. And there's another example of being unequally yoked, although they are quote unquote married to the same faith. Mm-hmm. And so my point is, is that this, you know, f- finds its way out and it works its way out into area, every area of life, er- every area of our life. And, and so you know, you kind of enter into those things. I, I always say it this way. It's always good to have outside eyes. And that's why the Bible tells us that in the, there, in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. And although you don't need a, you got to be careful who your multitude is. But, <laughs> right. but because I think multitude, if you get too many voices, you'll start getting. Ones that you want to hear that are just going to agree with you, whether it's true or good or. Yeah. But you should, one should be able to have. You know, a few people, whether it be a handful, two, three people in your life that maybe they can show with you, share with you or show you something that you're missing during the process. Or if anything, something to bring up to the individual or if anything, something to discuss or something that maybe you think you know the answer to, but you haven't heard it. So I think it's important that as you're trying to not be unequally yoked with a believer that having people um, around you that have your best interest at heart and know your heart, um, that they can give you advice and give you things to look for in that other individual. And hopefully you will be more receptive to um, their counsel and then you can start doing your investigation or you you can start finding out the answers to that. Yeah. I don't know. I guess thinking of like myself, I just feel like it's something that you can almost like get so scared of that you don't want to make a move, you know? Because I guess I just think like I feel like I've come so far that like when I picture a future or I picture like what I would want my life to look like as a married person, I see it all evolving around the church. So I think one of my biggest fears is meeting someone and marrying someone that doesn't want the same thing. But then I start to just believe that if you surround yourself, like you said, with good people, and I think that when your heart's moving that way, you're drawn to people kind of the same way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the temptation, I've, I've not been, you know, early 30s or mid 30s or late 30s, 40, 50, and single, so I can't speak 100% on it. But I think, like anything, the the concern that anybody has is that they want the companionship. 
and sometimes we we can settle and and um and that's that's just kind of a decision that has to be made you know um and at the end of the day too to make you know you in this conversation make you feel any better there's other people that they started off on the same on the same quote-unquote level they started out wanting the same things and then all of a sudden a bad decision um a life tragedy an offense completely spun one of them out of control yeah so my point is is that that's probably the the most important thing is does do they have a heart for God that that's number 1 because if they have a true heart for God then even if they make mistakes even if they 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 have shortcomings even if whatever it is they're going to find themselves back at the altar back recalibrating back aligning because how many people went into their relationship and they thought it was great and it went great and they had the same values. They were yoked with a believer and that was for 5, 10, 15 years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm came. And now, you know, unfortunately, we have examples of people that now neither of them are living for God. Yeah. Or now one of them is and one of them's not. And they all started it, you know, being yoked together. They started yeah. in that. So my point is, is that we can't live out of fear, per se, right. from that standpoint. We have to say, okay, I'm going to put this in God's hands. I'm going to look for this. Here's my list of, you know, what I'm, my priorities are. Here's my non-negotiables. Kind of go down these roads and then realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to find perfection. We got to make that perfection. Yeah. We got to create that perfection. And, and obviously, perfection is a chasing of the wind. Um, yeah. To some degree, because we recognize that that there's no perfect situation, and really that's because of our own humanity and our own flaws. That even the even with the Holy Ghost, it's a down payment, and we're really never going to be perfect over over there. But but at the end of the day, it's like you can't live your life out of fear. You have to trust God. You have to trust people, and they may have given you all of that information. And in that moment, it was the right decision. But um, my dad preached a message that was very, it's an old message, but he preached um, a message called, very famous to, to him, to his ministry, is called Life's Unexpected Crosses. And the point is, is that life brings to you things that you never thought it would. And so, you know, even in your best case scenarios, the only thing that you can do is make that decision in that moment and ask God for wisdom in that moment. Um, and he knows the future. Um, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to come your way. But I don't think you can live your life out of fear. You have, to, you have to have trust in God, trust in your relationship with God, trust in that individual, and, and trust in, in your mentors and in your, your pastor. That's very, very good. Well, um, we're getting a little bit into time here, but I do want to hit on a more of a subject that I've been asking quite a bit of people about is social media and dating and meeting someone because obviously there's only 
a select few people that are like in this area so then it's like you have like an opportunity to meet more people via Instagram that you may not meet if you're not like as active in conferences and and stuff so what is your I mean I respect you a lot in my life so I just want to know like what is your thoughts on that yeah I mean I think I, I think really my I mentioned this to you this the other day <clears throat> I think number one the operative word in your in my answer will be the word that you use in your question which is meet I think you can only meet people socially <laughs> that's right. the only way you can meet it now that social platform might be you know over the phone in person it could be at a conference it could be at a church service it could be at the park <laughs> right. it could be at the but mall it's social. it's social it could be via Instagram or but again I think the operative word is meet um you you at some point have to um evolve beyond the medium of quote unquote social media just like you have to evolve beyond shaking a brother's hand at a conference and saying, hello, my name is sister so-and-so or my name is brother so-and-so. You know, it has to go beyond that. <laughs> but I think meeting somebody and socially, is that's not the issue. I think that the, the I, I guess the negative, if, if it's negative, I don't know that it's negative. I don't know if that's the right word. But the the skeptical, there's a good word. Yeah. The skepticism that's applied to social media is the ability to fabricate it oneself. Now, we understand that fabricating oneself can happen anywhere. Yeah. It can sure. happen it can happen face to face. That's good. So we understand that. Yeah. But let's also be honest and say fabrication through social media, through text through you know obviously social media and facebook and instagram it's much easier to fabricate oneself and it happens all the time not even in relationships it happens in selfies it happens in people you know taking pictures in places that they're not really physically at you know just yeah. there's a lot of fabrication that can be there so i i think that that's my answer to that is I don't think that it's wrong. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's a, you know, it's like this taboo thing to meet somebody on Instagram. I think that's the key though, to meet them, meaning to be able to create a friendship that will evolve to a point where they become known and you become known. And although fabrication can happen in person as well, um, the closer you get to that individual in proximity, you know, in front of them, the more difficult it is to fabricate oneself. Yeah. Now they still can do it. Yeah. Or if they're around people, because I mean, to me, it's like if I saw one of my friends faking something or putting something on social media, they weren't, I would like call them out on it. So I feel like usually if you're around people's friends and family, I mean, they're kind of at their truest. Well, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think that's where, it's like if you're able to to meet people and if you know socially, if you know people that know them, then you can find out about them when you're not with them. Yeah. Whereas if you're just kind of, and I'll how the kids say it these days, sliding into someone's DMs, they yeah. can say whatever they want to say on DM yeah. and you have no rebuttal and they can say whatever they want to say. And if you have no one in their 
network, if you have no one that really goes to church with them, if you have no one that really has done a hope court with them, if you don't have nobody that anyways is, is connected to them in real life, you have no checks and balances. Yeah. And so, um, but answer the question. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong. You're meeting them on a medium that, um, is a social medium, but you have to be social to meet anybody. <laughs> so there's a, you know, the, the, the medium can change, but I think that as long as it's used as a meeting grounds and not a, um, and not just going to stay in those grounds, but it's actually going to evolve into a more uh, traditional, I guess you could say, yeah. um, meeting, I think then that that's okay. As long as someone thinks that they're dating some, I mean, I've heard of people think that they're dating people through social media, and that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life <laughs> because th- th- they're in love with that person's social media. Yeah. They don't know that individual. They think they do. Yeah. There's there's whole uh there was there was a, a funny story but there was a NFL football player that that quote unquote was dating somebody through social media and then you know come to find out that individual wasn't even real. And uh so my my point is is that that's those stories like that is what creates the skepticism around social media. But I think if just used as a platform to meet somebody for the purposes of truly developing, you know, a a meaningful friendship, then yeah, it doesn't I don't I think it has its place. Yeah. It gives you, you know, it's we live we do live in a global world these days and it does have its its values, but um at some point it's gotta your social media contact has to become like a real contact. Yeah. Okay, one more thing. I don't know if you listened to Mind and Ray's podcast last week, but we debated and bantered and accomplished nothing about what side we really fall on because I think we were kind of saying the same things, just different ways. Um, but then I read something the other day that said, dating for a long period of time causes confusion on where you're going. So can you tell me how long you and Rachel dated and like kind of that and like your stance on... Like, obviously everything needs to be approved by people's pastors, but, like, what do you think would probably be a good medium to, to like, date or... You know, I, I don't know that I can give, like, a rule, per se. I think everyone's going to have a different, you know, story. <clears throat> you know, you hear the stories. I hear some stories of elders that, you know, they're, like, 80 years old, and they s- met their wife, and one month later they were married, and they've been married for 60 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, do I think that's... Wisdom, perhaps not. You know what I mean. Um, if I was going to give wisdom, wisdom to my children, I don't know that that would be the best. But you know, can God do anything? Absolutely. Um, right. Um, that being said, to answer your first question, my wife and I, we didn't really know. We knew each other. I had preached in her church years before, but she was younger. There were, were four years apart, and um, three and a half. And, um, so we were on each other's radar screens just because of age at the time. Um, so I knew who she was, but I didn't know her. Um, and then we kind of started dating at the, uh, end of August and 
we were married the following September 24th. So we were only dating for about six to nine months, engaged for about like three or four months. Um, and that was our story, you know. Um, I don't know if it was long enough or not. I mean, I was a little, I mean, you know, older in Pentecost is different than older in the world. Yeah. Because older in the world, people are getting married old, young, I mean, getting married young, uh, older and older. Whereas in Pentecost, based upon our values and our interpretation of the word of God, which I think is accurate and applied, then there are reasons sometimes not for always the right reasons, but that people were getting married younger and younger. Right. I got married when I was 25. And so for me, um, I was at a place where I was ready to get married. My wife, you know, she was 21 turning 22. And, you know, um, she was younger, but they say that women mature, you know, uh, quicker at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think even um, science proves that. So... In our situation, I think the most important thing in our situation was that we had come to the conclusion that we knew. And I think that's really the predeterminer. When you know. When you know, in my opinion, why are you really waiting? If you are continuing to date somebody, what you are saying is, I'm not quite sure. Because I think in most times, there's never a perfect... There's never a perfect time to get married just like there's never a perfect time once you're married to have kids right there's there's never a perfect time you could say well i'm gonna wait for this and there are other situations i have a friend right now who they want to have kids but his wife is going through law school and they're pastoring and it's a challenging time and so yeah it's probably not the best time and they're 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 using that to get through this but in that case i, I would say if you date somebody um you know, for, for a year. Um, and you have, you know, you, you have the contact with them and you know them. I think that would be an adequate amount of time. Um, I think that the older that you get, the more mature you get, um, hopefully you can kind of see through some of that. And, um, but I don't know that I have like a, 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 you know, a stance of date them for six months, date them for a year, date them for two years, date them for three years. (laughs) I seem to think like when you have the confidence that you're ready to make that decision, um, move forward. Yeah. And then I would be of the opinion of, um, I'm pretty against long engagement periods just because I think too much, too much can go wrong during that time. Um, even in the best of situations, and I think that it's better just, you know, I think locally we try to live by like a six-month engagement, if not shorter. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that if you're dating someone for a year and it's both of you have the same, you're at the same place in life, you're, you're, you're ready to get married, you're ready to move forward, you're at that point in your life and you're not dating for the sake of dating, you're dating to really get to know each other, then I think that... You can get to know someone in that amount of time and other times it takes longer. But, you know, I just feel like when someone's dating, you know, for two, three, four years, what they're really saying is I'm not sure yet or I'm scared yeah, or I'm fearful. Um, 
So, I mean, that that's the best way I can answer that. I don't, I don't know that I can give, like, a cut-and-dry answer. Yeah, and I think that was after, like, my conclusion is just relating to it. Everyone has their own story, and that's okay. Like, some people, it's going to take longer for them to figure that out, and some people, it's going to take longer. And some people, saving for finances is, is a high value on there, and, and that's okay, too. Or, you know, someone just feeling like, hey, I'm ready, you're ready, like, why, why are we waiting, you know? Mm-hmm. And whatever situation works, it's... Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right on that, and I would agree with that. And I think that every situation is different. Every situation is different, you know. And I think that's where you you lean upon your spiritual authority. You lean upon your family, and you lean upon people that you've given veto power to in your life. You know what I mean? And I think that's where you lean on them. and then ultimately, you know, it has to be a collaborative effort, this marriage stuff. You know what I mean? You're like, already like, oh, not yeah. much. So, I mean, you kind of get that, you kind of get to that point. You know, that does have to be collaborative from that standpoint. Yeah, be, so, yeah, I'm getting married. Uh, he, has, he doesn't know yet, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, I think, I think you're right. I think that there's, but I mean, I think a year is, I think a, if you were going to try to like paint me into a corner, yeah. I would say, yeah, I mean, if you were dating with the intent of marrying yeah. For a year. Again, I think the key is with the intent of marrying. Yeah. Because you're going to be a little bit more transparent during those times. Yeah. And I think that's how it was with my wife and I. You know, we when we first talked, I was like very direct. I was like, you know what? I've dated people. I'm not here just to date. And if you are, I'm, I'd rather not go on. And I think if you draw that conclusion, you're creating, you're setting the course that even if it doesn't happen at least you both entered into the relationship with the same in in goal and whether you arrive there or not yeah. and if if you can probably do that in your dating like setting like this is what we're doing this is what we're moving then it's probably easy to kind of follow that into your marriage do like this is i mean not just like yeah sure i mean it's a it's like i said it's a collaborative it's a collaborative thing you know yeah and um I'll I'll leave you like with this thought is that, you know, the whole marriage and I'm not a expert on it and I don't think anybody is. I think if they, they are that they they're we're all mistaken, we're all walking through it and um you can have experience. I think I'd listen to a lot I listen to those people that have been married, you know, thirty plus years. To me they, they're the one they're the professionals. I feel like I'm an opinion. expert on relationships, but go ahead. <laughs> But I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you know, the Bible says in Genesis that he made male and female. And one of the things that I remember being in a class um, for one of my degrees is that the image of God was, and I'm not saying this is doctrinal, I'm just making a statement and I think it's applicable, that the image of God was not male and the image of God was not female but the image of God was the coming together of male and female. And that unity of being able to be yoked together is really what the image of God looks like. And you see this in, in even our theology of, of oneness theology, in which we don't look at God as distinct individuality, as in like a Trinitarian view of God, we have a oneness view of God in which the merging of the man Christ Jesus and the 
creator, spirit, God of the world, that their coming together was the creation of what God was. And that I think is really reflective in marriage is that it's mutual submission. And although, yes, the man is the head of the household, if you don't have a wife or if you don't have a husband that has your same type of God views, ministry views, life views, you know, sometimes even when you try to come together, you may not be the exact image of God that you want it that you want to be or could be. That's good. So that's actually really pretty. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. I'm just kidding. Don't I'm cry. Getting emotional here. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm gonna really end with this because I we're my next podcast episode I'm doing with my cousin Roberta, and she is dating or she was dating and now married. I should clarify that someone that was five years younger than her. And from a guy's point of view, usually it seems that like it's like, oh yay, I married someone older. You know, it's kind of. But for women, it's not that easy. So, do you have anything to say on that, or how do you feel about that? Like, yeah. if Audrey was going to marry someone younger than her. Yeah, I mean, I I think boy, it, again to answer that question, I think every situation is unique. Yeah. You know, it's hard to compartmentalize I mean you know scientifically obviously they say that uh, a man's brain and I'm sure there are people that are uh, more schooled and well versed at the part of the brain that develops at a Mm -hmm. different rate than a woman's I think that science has proved that Um, but at the same time too it comes down to maturity levels it comes down to you know the 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 common denominators that they have. It comes down to their spirituality. I think there's so many things to be able to like to say. Through just basing it. On yeah, I, I, it's hard. It's yeah. hard from that standpoint. I think when you start talking about with age related things, I think the way that I look at that is a more along the lines of you know under age in general. Yeah. You know that's one. Um, number two. You know, when somebody even is of age, barely of age, and somebody is in their mid forties or thirties, you know, they're just at they're on they're at different stages of life. Mm-hmm. They're just at total different stages of life, and that can kind of sometimes create, um, well, no, not kind of, that will create tensions. Yeah. Because one of them may want things that the other uh, has already experienced. Yeah. And thus doesn't want them anymore. Yeah. Because they had a bad experience with them. Yeah. Whatever it is, it could be kids, it could be a variety of different things. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, as that person gets older and somebody's 30 and somebody's 40, that 10 years is not th- probably as big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and they're at a season of life that is still capable, you know, they're capable of kind of still um, making decisions and, and, and experiencing life together and not being too far apart. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I I think that, yeah, you do see a lot more older men and younger, younger year, two, three year uh, difference, four years, whatever. Um, but I think ultimately it's, it's, it's a person by person situation. Yeah. It's a person by person because you situation. Because you can date someone who's 35 and exactly your age and you could be 10 years apart. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that happens. So, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't think you can think about it 
when you think about age, I don't think that, you know, you have to look at it in those senses as much as when you start getting into, you know, 21 to, you know, 50. It's more about season of life yeah. and maturity yeah. than it is age. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, that's the best way I can answer that, but. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that and talking with her about it. So I just thought I would see what your thoughts were on it. Uh, well, we are getting ready to close because we're almost hitting our hour mark. But is there anything you would like to say or anything you feel like we didn't cover or just any advice you would give to someone that's single that's listening to this that's wanting to pick a good spouse? or You know, I, I think we've covered everything. I just would kind of put a bow on it and say that, you know, Obviously, the first decision you have to make is you have to make a decision that I will not, no matter what, no matter even the loneliness, no matter even the frustration, the hurt, um, the whether, you know, how you value yourself, what all these things, you know, don't give, don't allow any of those emotional things to mess up, first of all, marrying with inside the confines, I'm not even going to say the church, but I'm going to say the Bible, that it, it wouldn't be worth it. It would be, it wouldn't be the image of God. Yeah. It wouldn't be what God would choose for you. Um, and so I would just encourage them. I know there's a lot of, you know, I've talked about this a lot of people. There's a lot of young ladies out there that, you know, that I look at them and they have lived for God. They're doing what's right. And there's obviously a temptation all over the place to, as I look at why people leave God, I, I've seen it in that age demographic of, you know, 22 to 32. It's a lot of young ladies that leave God for a guy. It's yeah. not that they don't even love God. It's not that they don't believe. It's just that their loneliness finally swallows it up and they get lost and they feel like that's going to be the missing link. And then they find out afterwards that, yeah, they have some satisfaction in their life, but yet it's not exactly what they envisioned it was going to be. Yeah. And it's because that's not what they wanted. They wanted to marry a believer and they wanted to do ministry. They had, they had this concept of, 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 of a biblical model of marriage and a life. So I would just encourage, you know, young men, young ladies, um, you know, Hang in there. I know it's not easy. I'm not walking in your shoes. I am praying for those that I know. I do make it a matter of prayer. And I I just want to see um I want to see them happy and I want to see them 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 married. And I don't think there's not there's not one thing wrong with having that desire. But I would just say, you know, to those that might be listening, you know, hang in there, keep your head up, keep God first in your life. Um, and resist the urge, the temptation to, uh, to marry an unbeliever outside of the church and allow God to bring to you the right believer that you can truly be yoked up with, with that believer.